Listen, we are beginning a new series today called Seven Choices. Seven Choices. We're going to talk over the next seven weeks about seven decisions that you and I can make that will transform our lives forever. Okay, so that's where we're headed over the next seven weeks. This was strategically placed after Easter because we know that Easter has a way like no other weekend of the entire year to bring people back into the church family, to bring people back into the church gathering. So we're going to talk specifically about that today, but we're also going to be diving into this over the next seven weeks about what seven decisions can I make, can you make, that will lead to life transformation, that will lead to life change. This entire series, by the way, is rooted in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 11. You don't have to turn there, but we're going to talk about this every single week because we want you to know that this is where the series was built upon. And then we're going to actually deviate away from Proverbs chapter 2 and talk about different texts throughout um, this series together. Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of taking a next step. Okay, the importance of taking a next step. That's the first thing that we believe that if you would do, it would lead you to life change. This is what Proverbs chapter 2, verse 11 says. It says, discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. What does that word discretion actually mean? Discretion, by definition, means the ability to make good choices. So the ability to make good choices will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Some of you, you might use the New Living Translation. Um, I don't use it a lot, but this is how the New Living Translation would say the same thing that the English Standard Version says that we read just a moment ago. It says it this way, wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will will keep you safe. So what does this mean? What, what is the, the wisdom that we can heed uh, to our lives based on Proverbs chapter 2, verse 11? What Solomon is saying is, if you look at this in context, what he's saying is that there's chaos all around the world. Any of you feel the chaos around the world? I mean, it doesn't take much to see how chaotic the world is becoming, if not how chaotic the world already is. And what he's saying is there's a place that you can run for safety and security in the midst of chaos. Well, where is that? Where can we run in the midst of chaos for safety and security? He's saying it's, it's, it's by choosing to obey God in every area of your life. The best way to find peace in the middle of chaos is to make the choice to obey God. The best way to live in the midst of a chaotic world is to put your yes on the table to God and obey him in every aspect of of our lives. So when you read Proverbs chapter 2, what, what the author's trying to do here is he's trying to mold your life and to shape your lives into something that's consistently in tune with God. It's easy for us, just like a guitar. If there was a guitar that was not played for a year and somebody got up here and started to strum it, it would be out of tune. It hasn't been used. It hasn't been tuned. So the, tar, the guitar has to constantly stay tuned in order to get the sound out of it that you want. And the same thing is true with our spiritual lives. If we don't spend time around the community of God, if we don't spend time in the Word of God, our lives will grow out of tune with who God is. So we constantly have to be fed things from God and constantly have to revisit this so that we can stay in tune with Him. And that's what, the, the, that's what Solomon wants in Proverbs 2, is he wants you and I to live lives that are consistently in tune 
with God. Now, here's what you can't read in Proverbs chapter 2, okay? Proverbs chapter 2 is not about you and I developing a list of rules that we apply to our lives. That's not what he wants us to do at all. Instead, it's about aligning the choices that we do make with his truth, which is the word of God. This is the truth. What Solomon wants to do is align our choices and our decisions with his truth. So over the next seven weeks, when we talk about these important seven decisions, all of them are going to be rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's what we need to understand. We need to understand that choices are critically important. Choices, in fact, are extremely powerful. One person said it like this. Choices determine the distance between where you are and where God wants you to be. Do you hear that? The decisions you make and the choices you make will determine the distance between where you are today and where God wants you to be as you grow in the likeness of Christ. See, what you and I often need to understand and be reminded of is that good intentions are not the same as good decisions, right? Good intentions are not the same as good decisions. You might have walked in here today with a good intention, a good intention of, I'm going to get my family back in church. But you actually have to make the decision every week to do that, or otherwise it's just a good intention. You may have come in here today with a good intention of saying, you know what, we're going to start developing a giving plan, and we're going to start faithfully giving the way that God wants us to give. Well, those good intentions are going to have to be followed by good decisions that will make those intentions turn into good decisions. You follow me? So maybe you walked in here today, and that's what, where you're at. You're, you're in this place where you have good intentions. You want to start walking with God. You want to start growing in godliness. You want, to, you want to be seen by a watching world as one who emulates the life of Christ, and you want to live that out. Today, this series, what we're going to do over the next seven weeks, is help you cross the threshold. We want to help you move good intentions into good decisions. It's not a choice that I can make for you, though. This is a decision and a choice that you're going to have to make for yourself. So I implore you on Christ's behalf, when you come each and every week, I want to encourage you to put your yes on the table, to ask God to give you eyes to see things the way that he wants you to see them, to give you ears to hear things the way that he wants you to hear them. Don't manipulate that. Don't twist that. Don't change it. Just take it at face value for what God's saying to you and be committed to transform or to, to making the changes necessary so that you can look more and more like Jesus. So that's where we're going. We want to move you from good intentions to good decisions. So this morning, we're actually going to be in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, that's the 10th book of the New Testament. The book of Ephesians. So if you get to the New Testament, two larger books are 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I always fear I'm going to get this wrong. And then I think it's Galatians and then Ephesians, okay? I always get it by General Electric Power Company. All of you have something. Galatians and then Ephesians, okay? So First and Second Corinthians are the larger books. Find them first. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, turn two books to the right. Galatians and Ephesians is next. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verse 1 together. It says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul says, I, therefore, 
You guys know this. When you're reading your Bible, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to look and see what it's there for. So that always reminds you that Paul's connecting something that he's about to say to something that he's already said. So what we need to do at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4 where he says, I therefore, we need to go back to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and figure out what he's already said so that we can make sense of what he's about to say. All right. Now listen, if you have never read through the book of Ephesians, I know I said this about the Beatitudes, and only a handful of you might have taken me up on this, maybe more of you, and that would be a surprise to me, so hopefully you did. Um, and you know what? I assume the best. I think all of you went and read the Beatitudes. You're such a great congregation. Um, I, I don't know if you did or not, but if you did, good job. Uh, but here's the deal. Ephesians, the book, is so full of the rich promises of God. Like, it is one of those books that even if you don't read it in its entirety in one sitting, which you can, um, read it a chapter a day over the next week. I encourage you to do that. Just read a chapter a day. You're going to be stunned. Um, it's all about your identity in Christ, by the way. Like, if you want to know who you are in Jesus, just read the book of Ephesians. It is a phenomenal format uh, for that. But listen, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul begins this letter to the church of Ephesus by reminding them of their union with Christ. I mean, don't you understand that in Jesus you're a united body? Like, you belong not only to him, but you belong to each other. What a beautiful text of Scripture. And then he moves on just one verse later and says, not only that, but you're the adopted sons and daughters of God. I mean, before Jesus, you, you didn't have a family. You, you did, it was just not the right one, right? And he says, but now because of Christ, I've adopted you into my family. You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. And then he goes on to say, not only that, but you're my chosen one. Like, I knew that you would choose me. And then he says in verse 7, I ha you have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Like, I've paid for every single sin that you've ever committed. And when you called upon me, your sins were atoned for. Like, you have redemption. In Christ Jesus. And then he says there in verse 11, he says, And now that you are a child of God and you belong to the family of God, there's an inheritance awaiting for you. All that belongs to Jesus, the true Son, also belongs to you. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's all in one chapter. And Paul doesn't even quit there. Like, then he goes on to chapter 2 and he says, Hey, by the way, I want to remind you again that you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you're like, Well, I thought this was supposed to be encouraging, Paul. Well, and then he says, but that's right, because now you're made alive together in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's who you were, but this is who you are. And then he goes on in chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we were created for something. I mean, you weren't just saved so that you could sit on your hands and do nothing. In fact, a byproduct of coming to know Jesus is now you live like Jesus before watching world. And he says you're created now for good works. And then he says, in him, those of us who were far away... Again, bad news. There was a great gulf between us and God. We were far away. He says, but because of Christ, you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And then he also says in chapter 2, verse 14, you, you were enemies of God, but now you're no longer enemies. Remember, he says, your sons and your daughter. Isn't this rich? Like, it's good. That's what Ephesians is all about. That's what he's doing in chapter 2. And then he concludes this chapter with saying, hey, I want to remind you. This world that you live in, this earth, this chaotic place, this isn't your home. You're citizens of a greater kingdom. You're citizens of the kingdom of God. So don't get caught up in all the world things that are going on because you are the product of another place. 
And then he goes to chapter 3, and listen to this. I'm just going to read it because I, I can't explain it and do it any justice at all. Okay, so this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. So good, so good. Here it goes. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Man, praise God that today, those of us who are children of God, that Christ is dwelling in our hearts today. And then he says, through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge and understanding that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I mean, that is a rich text of scripture. So deep and so good. And Paul says, now that I've given you those that context, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, he says, Now I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Here's what you have to understand from this. This is it. When we embrace the love of Christ, we also embrace the life of Christ. And for some of us, this is a newsflash. When we embrace the love of Christ, when we've been saved by who he is and what he's done, when we have bought into this reality that Jesus has done everything necessary for our salvation, when we've come into contact with this immeasurable, like no, no, no end to it type of love, when we buy into and embrace the love of Christ, we simultaneously embrace the life of Christ. We have to now step into the life that we have been called to live. You do understand that your salvation is a calling. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit force draw him. So when God calls you, you respond to his call in salvation. That's how it works. You don't come to Christ on your own terms. You come to Christ on his terms. He calls and you come. And you have that responsibility in and of yourself to make that decision. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Once you become a child of God, you have to, as Paul says, you have to step into the life that you have been called to live. I urge you. By the way, when Paul uses that word urge, there's urgency in it. He's saying, I'm pleading with you on Christ's behalf to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling in which you've been called. When you embrace the love of Christ, you also embrace the life of Christ. You can't say, I want to experience the love of God and be saved by the gospel. I just don't want to live like the Bible tells me to live. You don't have that choice. If you're going to be saved by him, you have to live the way that he has called you to live your life as well. It's dying to yourself daily to follow him. It's every single day recognizing that you can't make it in and of yourself, that you need him to, put, to, to empower you and to give you everything necessary to accomplish the task of every day. So how do we do this? How do we take our next step to live out this new life that we now have in Christ? Here's what you need to understand this morning. Listen, we don't take next steps accidentally. Nobody in this room has ever taken a next step accidentally. It requires intentionality on your part. It even requires intentionality still on my part. Like, God's not finished with me. He's, I'm still a work in progress now, sure. He who started the good work will be faithful to complete it. We're told that in Scripture. So he's still working on us. We're still being conformed into his image. But every single day, taking my next step as a child of God and taking your next step as a child of God requires intentionality on your, your, your behalf. It will not happen accidentally. It's a decision that you must make. And here's what I believe. 
I believe by your mere presence here today, and even those who are watching online, I believe by you joining in, by you being a part of this today, I believe you want to grow in godliness. I believe you want to take your next step. And I'm not just saying that. I truly believe you want to do that. You want to look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. I believe you want to step into the freedom that Christ offers you in his salvation. You want to be more like Christ. And my goal throughout this whole series is going to be to help you do that. So now let's jump down to Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, I wanted to give you that context of what's happening here in the, the, the book of Ephesians, but also Ephesians chapter 4 specifically. And now we're going to focus on verses 11 through 16 for the remainder of our time together. Okay, this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. All right? In layman terms for us today, this is what that means. He gave us pastors and he gave us ministry directors. But what did he give us those people for? Well, he says this here in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, for some of you, if you're like me, when I read that for the first time, this is a very insightful verse. Maybe you grew up in a church like I did, where I thought, you know, winning people to Jesus, that's the pastor's job. Doing the work of ministry, that's the job of the directors. That's the job of the pastors. That's not my job. They get paid to do it. They're supposed to go and do it. Well, what this verse does is it teaches us what those pastors, what those ministry directors are responsible for actually doing. Paul's saying they do have a role in the body of Christ. And their role is to equip the saints to do the ministry. Here's what you have to understand. It is your job to do the ministry. It's our job to do the ministry. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the director's job. It's the job of the church, the job, the job, the job of the redeemed to do the work of the ministry. Every single person who has named the name Jesus as their Lord, you are a minister of the gospel. Do you believe that? You, you can't say yes and amen if you don't live that out in your life. <laughs> like, you have to understand, you are a minister of the gospel. We, uh, as pastors, my role, the role of us as pastors, is to, to equip the church, you, for the ministry. In many ways, now just so that you know, this doesn't remove me from the trenches. You understand that, right? It doesn't remove us from the trenches. Um, we're still in the trenches, but we have to equip you for the work that you're called by God to do as a follower of him. Some of you, just so that you can get some clarity on this, because I know that sometimes we do things and you don't really, you know, everybody doesn't always understand. And even when we do try our best to communicate it, what happens is, you know, either you've tuned out, you're listening to something else, you're checking your phone, you, you, you know, something, it just happens, it's life, right? And we miscommunicate sometimes because we don't say it and other times because you, you don't hear it, right? Well, one of the things we did about a year or two ago is we changed our Wednesday night programming uh, more to equip classes, okay? And, and maybe for some of you, I don't know this, but I haven't heard a lot of, of this, but I'm just sharing it with you because we have to, when you think through decisions as a pastor, you have to think through the pros and the cons. Like, what kind of backlash will this cause? <laughs> is it going to call big backlash? If not, then we're not doing it. You, know, you follow me? You, you just weigh those things out. Um, but we changed it to equip classes. And the reason we did is because we felt like we needed to equip the saints to do the ministry, 
Now, we could have continued on with maybe a, you know, a Bible study, and maybe you appreciate Bible studies, and you wanted an Esther Bible study because you love the book of Esther, and why not study the book of Esther, right? Well, when we got together, we started to think, you know what? We, we give them Bible on Sunday morning. We give them Bible on life group. We're crossing the threshold of just getting it in their heads to getting it to their hearts by making life group a little bit more about biblical application than it is just about teaching another uh, study. And, you know, that's not that either one of them is wrong. It's just what we've learned in life is sometimes we don't apply the things that we're learning. And then we have so much up here but not enough down here, right? And what does Paul say that knowledge does? It puffs us up. It makes us prideful, but it doesn't make us effective. And what Paul was saying is, I'd rather you live it out than just have it all up here. So we just started to think, how can we equip our people? We felt like we're accomplishing the task of feeding you the word through all the different various avenues that we do that. But what we weren't doing good at is equipping you to do the ministry that God has called you to do. So I know that studying the book of Esther might not be as attractive as a class on evangelism. But here's the thing. It's just as important, if not equally more important. You follow me? Because if you're not equipped to evangelize, you'll never use the tools that aren't in your belt. we got to put the tools in your belt so that when you're in the watching world, you know what tools to use based on the ministry opportunities that are in front of you. So it's equipping you to do the work that ultimately God has called you to do. And I just felt like I would take the time to explain that. It wasn't even in the notes. So there you go. But what we do need to understand is that according to Scripture, we're all ministers of the gospel, okay? Many of us in this room would agree that our community needs Jesus. I, I would bet if I asked you, how many of you think that Henry County has a need for Christ? Yes, you would say absolutely yes. Well, don't you understand that God put you in Henry County to be the light in the darkness? Let, let me challenge some of you. Some of you are going to say, you know what, the flow of traffic. Lord child, it's enough to stress a mule out, right? And they don't get stressed easily. I mean, those jokers will walk like beside the edge of the Grand Canyon. That's my wife. We'll stress you out if you're riding the mule. They won't stress the mule out at all. Henry County traffic will stress the mule out. Um, maybe you don't like the, the congestion that's coming into our county. Some of you, you're just like, man, there's so many people. I'm building apartments everywhere. Like, there's so many people that are moving here. <laughs> Praise God. God is bringing the nations right to our backyard. And we get a chance to win as many people to Jesus as we can possibly do. And we got more fish in the sea that we get the opportunity to catch. And you know what naturally the enemy does? Oh, man, I should move out of this town. So I can go live in the country and reach nobody. But you know what? It'll be me and my family, and I'll be happy. And I started to think about that. Like how crafty of the enemy to take the light out of darkness so that the light becomes ineffective and idle wherever it's at. Some of you, you're thinking, that, well, that was thinking about that. You're, you're making me feel guilty. I'm not, this is not condemnation, right? This is, not, this is, this is conviction. Like, you need to understand, we're missionaries, and God's taking us to a place that doesn't know Jesus, and we have an opportunity in front of us to reach these people for Christ, and what a tremendous opportunity we have. We used to have to send people overseas so that we could do cross-cultured ministry. Not, no, not anymore. The cultures are so interchanged now that we can do that in our own backyard. We're still going to send people overseas. But you know what I mean. Like, what an opportunity that we got to reach so many more people. So many of us in this room, we agree that our community needs Jesus. We just have to start living like it needs Jesus. And we have to start rep representing Christ the way that we're supposed to as ambassadors. He, he says, you 
You, are, you have been saved by Christ, so you are now reconciled to God, but you're also now called into the ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? It means now it's your job as ministers of the gospel to see other people reconciled to God. That means you have to proclaim the gospel from actually your mouth. James talks about this. Like You have to have a balance of, of what you do in your life with your actions and what you say out of your mouth. Like There has to be a balance between those two things. You can't start to think, I don't need to say anything as long as I live righteously. No, that doesn't work at all. That's not what Paul argues. Paul says, no, you actually have to persuade people through the proclamation of the gospel of their need for Christ and help them see the idols of their hearts. That's what we're here to do. Goodness, anyway, I, I spent way too much time. This verse teaches us two things, okay? First, a congregation is, it's not an audience, it's an army. A congregation is not an audience, it's an army. You know what an audience is? They come back every week so they can be entertained. And by Tuesday, if not by Monday, if not by lunchtime on Sunday, um, depending on how entertaining it was, you know, the buzz is worn off. It's like a drug. That's what entertainment is. You get entertained for a little bit. You get, you get that fix in, but then you need it again because it wore off. It doesn't last. It doesn't ha- it doesn't, it's not sustained by anything. But you're not an audience. Like, you're not coming here to be entertained. You're a body of believers, baptized believers who have regenerate hearts. You're not the same person you once were if you have placed Jesus as the Lord of your life. You follow me? Now you're on a team and a family. You are an army. You know what an army does? An army goes to war. They share the same mission. The commander gives the mission, and you go and you tackle it. You accomplish it. Our commander, God Almighty, has given us a mission, and it's up to us to accomplish it. We're not an audience. We're an army. But second, it teaches that the entire church must be engaged in the, in the mission. The entire church must be engaged in the mission. The mission belongs to all of us. It's the same mission. We we can't have seven different missions. We have to have the same mission. God gives us the mission, and then we follow the mission that he gave. We all have a role to play. See, the job of the pastors is to do ministry with the saints, not do ministry for the saints. We have to understand that that, that this is what this verse is teaching. You know, I would, I would believe that most of us want to be a part of a movement, a movement of seeing Jesus made famous in all the earth. But you know how you turn that from a, you, you move from a slow leak of that to a great waterfall of that? You know how you do it? You all buy into the same mission. When you engage in the mission, more happens. If it's just five, the pastors, that are engaged in the mission, well, very, you're going to see a leak. But if you take the 1,000 people or plus that are here and you start to, to all be engaged in the mission, can you imagine what would happen? I ain't, I'm not talking about what would happen with us as a church. I'm talking about what would happen in the realm of eternity. Like more people would now reside with us for all eternity in heaven and have a relationship with Jesus than ever before because we're all engaged in the mission. And then it says this in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the job description, okay, for all of us as children of God, to mature to Christ-likeness. That's what God wants to do. He wants to mature every single one of us to Christ-likeness. So Paul, I love what he does. Instead of telling you what now to go do, he's going to tell you why you need to do it. Let the why 
drive the what, is what Paul's saying. I want to tell you why you need to take your next step, not what you need to do, so that the why would drive you to do it. Make sense? All right, so the question on the table is this. If he tells us to take next steps, why should we take them? Why should we take them? First reason we should take a next step is this. Next steps produce spiritual maturity. Next steps produce spiritual maturity. Look at verse 14. It says, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Here's what Paul's doing. Paul is painting a picture. He is saying, I want you to take a next step so that you can be more spiritually matured. And he gives this picture of a ship that's in the sea. And in front of the ship is this destination that the ship is headed. That's the mission. We're headed towards this. We, the mission that God has given us is to make disciples of all nations. We want to love God. We want to love people based on the great commandment. We want to make disciples. That's what we want to do. So that's the destination that the ship is headed. But what he's saying is as the ship is rocking on the waves, headed to that destination, there's a wind of doctrine or there's a wind or a wave that happens that rocks the boat and it misdirects the ship. Now all of a sudden it's going in this direction, which is away from the mission that it was headed towards. Well, what types of things does Paul say would actually help that? Some of you, you're experiencing this right now in your life. You know that Jesus has put you here with a primary purpose of making disciples, and you're headed towards that destination. But somewhere along the way, as you were headed towards that mission, with that mission in mind, all of a sudden, just a wave or a wind of discouragement hits you, and now you're headed this direction. And all of a sudden, a bad health report hits you, and now you're headed this direction. And all of a sudden, you know, you got rejected by something, and now you're headed this direction. And before you know it, you're, you've been in all, you're, you're all over the ocean but you're not moving to where God wants you. What he specifically says here is doctrine. What does that mean? It says, well, if you're weak and you're immature and you're headed towards the mission of God and you're living your life to accomplish that mission and all of a sudden you got introduced to this prosperity preacher and all of a sudden you think, man, if I give more, I get more and money becomes your God. So all of a sudden that wind blows you this way and you start to think you can finagle this thing or buy some rags from trees or whatever they do and all of a sudden you'll have this wealth of income. And you buy into that realm of doctrine. Or maybe it's just an experiential type uh, religion to where you're, you get so caught up in experiences, whatever those may be, that you start going this direction. You care more about the experience than the work that God has called you to do. And Paul says we got to be more mature than that. And the way that we get more mature in that is we sink our teeth deep into the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. If I were to ask you today, what do you think the greatest threat is to your spiritual life? What would you say? Think about that. What's the greatest threat to your spiritual life? I bet most of you might say sin. Sin would be the greatest threat to my spiritual life. You know that's true if you're not a child of God. If you're not a child of God, the greatest threat to you growing in godliness, to you walking with Christ, surely it's sin. Why? Because sin has a hold of you. You're not freed from that sin yet. Sin is your master. That's who you serve. We talked about that on Easter. But here's the deal. If you are a child of God, sin no longer has a reign or power over you. Sin has been defeated by Christ. So sin isn't the greatest threat to you. According to Paul, immaturity is the greatest threat. The fact that you never grow up in godliness. The, the, the fact that you stay the same, the same infant toddler that you were once you first gave your life to Christ. That's the greatest threat to you. 
So what Paul is saying is this. He's saying immaturity is your weakness. You've got to grow up. But here's the beauty of this. Immaturity is any area of life that I have not turned over to God. That's all immaturity is. It's any area of life where I've not turned it over to God. I've not been able to say to God, you know what? I can't control this. This is yours. I got to give it to you. I got to let you have this crevice of my life. I'm weak here. I got to give it to you. You know, it's weakness we have because we haven't surrendered to the Lord. You know what weakness is? You remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians? He said, for the sake of Christ then, what? I am content with weakness. Why? Because for when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. When I recognize that I can't, that's when I start to understand that God can. And i got to continue to press in on that. What Paul was saying, in essence, in a nutshell, for the sake of time, is this. We've got to grow up. Ma'am, sir, you've got to grow up. You cannot stay in your state of spiritual immaturity any longer. It's time for you to take a next step and to grow as a child of God. I'm telling you, I have four kids. Okay, I have four. And, and if you ask them, just ask them any day. Um, let me say it this way. You, you know that, that as a child, they have the greatest job on the planet. They really do. They have the greatest job on the planet. I mean, think about it, especially during spring break. I mean, we just got off of that, and we're going into the summer. They're already eager for the summer to get here. But what does a child do? They eat candy. That's what some of them do. Uh, they sleep in, right? They don't have a care in the world. They wake up when they want to wake up. And you know what, the, you know what stresses my kids out more than anything? is if there's cinnamon rolls in the refrigerator when they wake up. I mean, think about that. It's not a bill to pay. It's not, you know, a job, a career. It's none of that. It's merely, is there cinnamon rolls in the refrigerator, right? And by the way, talking about cinnamon rolls, I mean, just think about that. It's just like this rolled up dough that just has like butter and cinnamon and sugar all sprinkled throughout it. And then it's just lathered with this, this like cream cheese icing. Anyway, but it sounds delicious. I mean, so I could understand why not having those would stress them out. But that's the biggest concern they have. Then they go outside, they play all day, right? That's what kids do. They go outside, they play all day. They're on the trampoline one minute. They're throwing water balloons at each other the next. They're making a wreck of your front and backyard. Like, they just go outside, they play all day. They're in and out of the house. They have not a care in the world. But you know if you were to go up to any of my kids and say to them, Ryland, Reagan, Reese, River, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answer you're not going to get is I just want to be a kid. They all say, man, I want to be a dentist. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a policeman. That's what they say. That's what my children would tell you. Why? Because there's something within them that they know that they're created for more. Sure, they're totally dependent on their mom and dad right now. But they're, they're, but they're working towards that place of independency where they know that there's something that God has put in there that's, that's for more, created for more than just staying right here in their state of immaturity where they're at. This is what Paul's saying to you. It's sure you might not have a care in the world as a spiritually immature child, but at the end of the day, you were made for so much more than that. Aspire to be more in godliness. Give him more of your life. Take steps towards where you grow in this state of maturity where he can use you to make changes in the world. So next steps produce spiritual maturity. Secondly, next steps cultivate Christ's likeness. It says, rather than speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is head. That's a beautiful promise of scripture. Just become more like Christ. 
Quick story, and I'll move on from this. I told you at the beginning of the year what I'm asking God to do in my own heart, personally. The word for the year is what? Anybody remember? Gentleness. That's my word for the year. Not yours, mine. You can steal it, but mine. I can share it with you. All right. This is just a way of helping you know that even I'm still in this place where God's maturing me into Christ-likeness. Um, some of you know that I have referred to myself as being aggressive, and, and what does that mean? Okay, this is an example of that. My wife and I were in an international airport. We see a Burger King. We're starving. We go to the cash register. We buy a burger. All right, this is early in our marriage. Okay, so we buy a burger. Right, and I, I express international airport. You know, there's language barriers. I express. I want extra ketchup, extra ketchup, and they're still looking at me like, I don't know what that is, and I'm still, I'm, you know how you do, you're like, ketchup, and you just start, you don't know how to communicate it, you, you just don't know, so you're trying your best, but there's a barrier there, okay, well, they make my burger, they call my name, I come up to the, or my number, I come up to the register, and she indicates to me by language that, that she can, by her hands and gestures and all that. I want you to make sure that your burger's the way you want it. So I open it up, and I flip it up, and there's, like, no ketchup. And there's, like, 3,000 pickles. <laughs> so I look at it, and I look up, and I said, ketchup. And my wife is like, you could be nice. Like, you don't have to be rude. And in my heart, I'm like, I didn't feel like I was being rude. I, I was just saying, I don't know how to talk. I'm, I'm slowing it down. I'm trying to say it aggressively. Ketchup, not pickle. I don't what, what's the word for that in this way? I didn't know. Like, I, it was just confusing. But since then, she made me aware of it. I, I didn't feel it in my heart, but since she made me aware of it, I felt like, you know what? I do need to grow in gentleness. Okay, I'm getting somewhere. You know, this week I had a, a conversation with a church member who asked to meet with me. And it was just very odd. And I'm not saying this boastfully. I'm saying this because God's working in me. And I want you to be able to see that he's working in you when you keep your yes on the table. And this lady, she said, you know, can I, can I tell you something? At first, when you got here, you were so black and white. And it was kind of like, whoa, <laughs> we're not used to that. Like, we always saw the top of the trees. I don't know what that means. That's just what she said. And then she went on further, and she said, very clearly, she said, but can I tell you over the past year, like, there's just been this meekness. And I was like, you lying. <laughs> That's what you're doing. You're in here. You're trying to brown nose or something because this, this is a lie. <laughs> and, uh, and some of you are like, yeah, she's lying. Um, but seriously, that's what she said. And I, I went home and I started to think, man, what affirmation from the Lord that he, he is working. And some of you need that affirmation that, that it's not going to change overnight. You know what, it, what I mean? Like you diet for three weeks and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, I've seen no change at all, so I'm just going to quit dieting. It doesn't work. I'm going back to Chick-fil-A, right? That's what you do. And you, the diet doesn't work. Or you work out and you want to see results. And you stand in front of the mirror and you're like, there's no results after, three, after a month. And you're like, I quit. <laughs> I'm not going to work out. I mean, my muscles are sore. I'm not doing it anymore at all. But if you sustain through that, if you push through that, if you endure through that, after a year or maybe even more, people start to walk up to you and they affirm, man, you look like you've lost weight. Or, man, you look like you're putting on weight, whatever the case may be. And they're affirming the goals that you set. Same thing spiritually. It's not going to happen overnight. You've got to take little steps at a time. You've got to be consistent. I heard one guy say, you know what? You can go into the gym eight hours today for this week. All week long, you're just going eight hours one day. Or you can work out 30 minutes every single day, and you're going to see results faster for the 30 minutes throughout every single day than you would if you just went one day for eight hours. It's consistency. That's what's key. We got to keep at it, endure through it, and then other people start affirming that you're growing in godliness. So that's the goal. 
And then third and finally, next steps produce cult or cultivate Christ-likeness. And third, next steps lead to a purpose-filled life. And this is how we're landing the plane. It says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. Do you hear that? When each part is working properly. It says it this way in another translation, as each part does its own special work. You see, church, you have a part to play. You have a special work to do. God created you very uniquely. He created every single one of us in this room to be a little bit different than every other person in this room. He put intricate details into your life so that you could be the man or the woman that you are today. He put you through things in your past so that he could make you who you are today. And he's saying, when you start to play your role, when you start to play your special part, when you step into who God wants you to be, look what it says, it makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Taking your next step is the next step to your God-ordained purpose. Some of you in this room, you're waiting for a burning bush type experience. Man, you want God to light the drum set on fire in this, hey, Kayla, I want you to serve in students. Well, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, the likelihood of that happening is very slim. But you do know that God has already spoken through his word over and over and over again that he has gifted you and skilled you and given you the tools and the talents that you need to perform a very specific task for his glory that will build up his church so that it can do more in the city and the world around it. And just like we grow spiritually step by step, we need to know that our purpose is not a destination. Our purpose is a journey. If you are in Christ, you are living in your purpose right now. Purpose is a fruit that's all around us. We just need to recognize the fruit that's around us and start picking off the tree. God is moving. God is opening up ways in which you can serve and give back and be a part. You just got to start paying attention. Here, here's, my, here's my best illustration for this. There's a friend in my life that I failed to invite to Easter. It's just the truth. I invited people. I just failed to invite this person. But he showed up at Easter. And God showed me, not only that, but we went to lunch. And God showed me that through that, that he's working somewhere in someone's heart. I just need to pay attention. So I can keep chasing the fruit that he's not working in, or I can chase the fruit that he is, and I can start picking there and spending time there. And some of you, you have the same thing. Just, just look where God is working in your neighborhood, at your workplace, and get Involved. It says, from whom the whole body joined together, held together, every joint which is, is equipped to do, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God's purpose for you is to walk with him step by step, allowing him to mold you and shape you along the way. Don't get frustrated because if you try it for three weeks, the enemy's going to start to work and, and, and cause you to want to stop. You're going to look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, I don't see any product. I don't see any results. It's time to quit. But if you'll just do enough every single day over the span of weeks and months and year, before you know it, people will start to see and notice a change that's happening in your life. Some of you are here today and you are ready to take your next step. 
on the screen, you're going to see this message. It says, text the words next step or steps to this number, 770-504-4691. What I want to encourage you as a family to do is to take out your phone. I'm challenging you. Go ahead. Take out your phone. And I want you to open up your, your text messages, just like I'm doing here. And I want you to put in the number 770-504-4691. And in the message category, I'm going to ask you to type next steps, just like I did right there, and send. That's going to be the hard part is to push send, by the way. Once you send it, you're going to get a message, just like I did, that comes back to you. And there's going to be a link. And I want to challenge you all, if you really want to grow in Christ-likeness, if you really want this to be the best summer and year of your life, if you really want to start following Jesus every step of the way, if you want your yes to be on the table, I want to challenge you, even today, to go ahead and indicate what next step you need to take. Some of you, you just need to give your life to Jesus and just check that box. I want to give my life to Christ. Maybe you're here today and you, need, you, you know Jesus, but you haven't been baptized on the right side of your salvation. You were baptized as a three-year-old, but you got saved as an 11-year-old, and it's time to get baptized on the right side of your salvation. What does that mean? Baptism is a symbol, a sign. It declares to, to, to a watching world, I am now a follower of Jesus. So once you've prayed and received Christ and given your life to him, then you get baptized, and you recognize, I need to take that next step. Check that second box. Maybe you need to get in a life group. Check the box, I'm interested in a life group. Maybe it's time for you to start serving the church. Check the box, I'm ready to start serving the church. Maybe you need to engage in local or international mission. Check that box that you want to engage in local or international mission. Maybe you're here and you know what? You just need someone to pray for you. You're walking through a very tough season. We want to pray for you. We want to take prayer seriously. Tell us in that comment box what we can begin praying for you about. We want to ask you to do that for us today, and we trust and believe that you will. Father God, we come to you this morning. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for helping us take next steps. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.